When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own nat- in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming day of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, 
but he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. But David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and all your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who have the Holy Spirit in their hearts have Jesus on their lips. And what is it they say about Jesus? They say that he is both Lord and Messiah. And if you're going to remember one thing from today, if you go home just with one idea in your head, I want you to remember that. Acts chapter 2 is a long chapter, isn't it? Thanks, Matthew and Peter, for reading that. There's a, a lot that we covered this morning in that reading. But if you distill it all down, I think this is what it's about. A declaration by our spirit filled apostle that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. We've heard already in the kids talk this this morning, those with the Holy Spirit in their hearts have Jesus on their lips. That's what I love you to remember today as we make our way through this passage. Good morning everyone, if we haven't met before, my name's Carl, I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church only. Let me add my welcome to Chris and to uh, Jackie Oliver this morning, it's really great to be here with you. Last week I told you that over the next year or so we'll be dipping in and out of the book of Acts. We'll be looking at it for a few weeks at a time over the next year or so and we're doing that because I want us to keep mission firmly on the agenda for us as a church. Acts tells the story of God's mission of the good news of Jesus going to the very ends of the earth. If we want to keep mission, God's mission, on our agenda as a church, I think it's a great thing for us to be looking at and working our way through the book of Acts. Last week we looked at chapter 1 together and we looked at the ascension of Jesus. Do you remember that? We saw him as the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. We saw him as the King who reigns with power and authority. And last week we also saw from the book of Acts the story of Jesus, that it was moving out from Jerusalem to Samaria and then on to the very ends of the earth. Now last week as a church we prayed together for the Roe family and Jack and Mike and I shared a little bit about how we knew the Roe family. If you don't know who they are, they are a family that we support, they work with the Church Missionary Society and they are South Australians but they now live in South Africa. They're there teaching in a Bible college out of obedience to God to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. They left the comfort of Adelaide and they now live in Cape Town in South Africa. Today, apart from working our way through Acts chapter 2, we're also going to be hearing a little bit from Chris. Now, we've already heard from him as our service leader this morning and you might know Chris already as the man behind the guitar. 
But this morning I've asked Chris also to help us think a little bit about how we might be involved in the spread of the gospel here in Adelaide. So a bit after, after, the, after I've spoken to you a bit this morning, Chris is going to share some thoughts on that um, with us. And next week I've asked Sally Duffett to introduce uh, some friends of hers who currently live in Australia but are thinking through and working towards moving overseas because they want to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth. So I hope this kind of helps this passage become concrete and practical for you. Well, uh, I wonder if you noticed the extraordinary event that was read to us uh, this morning by Peter and Matthew. Acts chapter 2 starts with a violent wind and he- from heaven and, and flames and then people speaking in a language that's not their own. It's an extraordinary event and it happens at something called Pentecost. It's called Pentecost because it's a festival that the Jewish people celebrated and it happens 50 days after Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost, 50 days afterwards. And actually, to tell you, it's mainly a sermon given by the Apostle Peter, explaining what he's just seen. Now, for Peter and the other apostles, they lived in the time of Jesus when he was on earth, when he walked around. They'd seen with their own eyes Jesus killed, and then they'd seen the risen Jesus and heard from him as he spent time with them. And now they've seen him rise up and ascend through the clouds into heaven. They lived at a remarkable time in history. But for most of that time, it seemed to me like they didn't really understand how significant the events were for them. A few weeks ago, as a church, we worked our way through uh, John chapter 13 through to chapter 16. Those chapters are telling us the events that happened on the night before Jesus died. Sometimes we call it the, the Last Supper. And back then in that Last Supper, you might recall, Jesus promised the disciples that he was going to send them his spirit. He told them, I'm leaving But don't worry, because when I leave, I will send my spirit. But as you read through those chapters with us as a church back then, didn't it seem like they just didn't really get it, the disciples at least? As I read through those chapters, it seems to me like the words of Jesus are just kind of flying over the heads of the disciples. They don't quite understand what he's talking about. What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean you're going to come back? What do you mean you're going to send the Spirit? Well, we're now just 50 days after that event, 50 days into the future, a month and a half since the Last Supper, since Jesus died and rose again. And here today in Acts 2, I want you to see that Peter, Peter really gets it, doesn't he? He's now filled with the Spirit and it all makes sense. He knows who Jesus is. Now, I don't think there's very much doubt about what's actually going on in these verses. The spirit that Jesus had promised 50 days earlier, it's come. And Jesus said that he needed to go in order for the spirit to come. And here it is. It's an amazing event, isn't it? And here's the thing I want you to remember. Those who are filled with the spirit, those who have the spirit in their hearts, have Jesus on their lips. You see that in the passage? Come with me to verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles with you today, please look that up. If not, I think um, this passage will be on the screen behind me. 
verse 5 of chapter 2. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And if you drop down to verse 11, you can see what's being spoken in these different languages. They're declaring the wonders of God and they're doing it in their own language. What are the wonders of God? Well, well, there are many, aren't there? There are many wonders of God, but they must at least include the works of Jesus. Jesus securing salvation and, and providing hope for God's people. You see what I mean? Those who have the Spirit in their hearts have Jesus on their lips. And in this case, it's in many different languages. Now, surely what's going on here, at least in part, is that we're seeing kind of a kickstart to God's mission. A kickstart in the message of Jesus being taken to the different nations. You see, just as in Genesis, language was used to confuse the building of the Tower of Babel and to stop that mission, here, language is being used to kickstart the message of Jesus going to the ends of the earth. And yet it's still a really strange thing, isn't it? They're Galileans and they're speaking in different languages. I mean, we're not talking here about the educated elite who've had the opportunity to study language at those top echelon private schools or universities. We're talking about Galileans. I mean, these are the first century equivalent of port supporters, right? That means they're the chosen ones. That's what that means. No, no. And they're speaking in exotic languages. We're in strange times. I think that's what we're supposed to read into this passage. And so Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd and he says, listen carefully, listen carefully because I'm going to explain to you what you're seeing here. These strange voices that you're hearing, it's not wine, it's not wine talking, they're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning and they didn't have a Melbourne Cup day back then so it's not drunkenness that they're seeing at nine in the morning. Now Peter says, listen up, I'm going to explain what's going on. And he does it in a really, really helpful way, he does something that's very useful I think, that is he turns to Scripture, he turns to the Bible, filled with the Spirit, to explain to them what's going on. He has one thing in mind, I think, and that is he wants to show them beyond a doubt who Jesus is. He's got the Spirit in his heart and he has Jesus on his lips. And Peter starts his explanation by turning to Joel. Now, this morning we're going to look at three, the three passages that Peter quotes from, the three scriptures that he uses in his explanation of what's going on. They come from Joel 2. You might not have looked at Joel for a while. We're going to have a quick look at that. Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. You'll see those passages listed in your outline this morning. Let's start with Joel. Now, not very much is known about the prophet Joel. The the first verse of the book tells us that he's the son of Pethuel, and beyond that, we know pretty much nothing about who Joel was. In much of his book, he speaks about a plague. I don't know if you've seen any of the footage that's coming out of central New South Wales at the moment. They're in the grip of a mouse plague. And the stories of that are just horrific. There are mice in their millions 
They're around the farms, they're in the sheds, but they've even got into people's homes. I read stories this week of mice in people's bed, nibbling their toes at night. I mean, how terrible is that? It's the stuff of, stuff of nightmares. Now, Joel's not speaking about a mouse plague. Instead, he's speaking about a plague of locusts. And they're eating everything that's in their pathway. And what's so terrible about that, I mean, as disgusting as it might be, seeing just millions of insects everywhere, starvation follows a locust plague. And Joel says to the people, wake up, wake up, this is a warning, this time of devastation is a warning for you. I'm just going to read to you a little bit about this warning from verse 16 of Joel chapter 1. If you want to flick through your Bibles and find Joel, good luck. Um, no, that's a, it's a, one of the minor prophets, look for it in your Bibles, it would be great to read along, but the words are going to come on the screen as well. Here's what it says. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down, for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pastures. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. And Joel's saying to the Israelites, see this locust plague as a warning. He's saying, call out to the Lord, seek him, for final judgment is one day coming. And Joel's saying, turn back to God and repent. Turn back now before the final days come. Turn back to the God you know, who is a God of mercy and compassion. And that's the context of Joel 2 and the quote that Peter uses. Joel will go on in, in chapter 2 of, of his book to mark this day of judgment, to mark the coming of the day of the Lord by showing that it will be accompanied with the pouring out of the Spirit of God. And so says Peter in Acts chapter 2, you should know what you've just seen. This is like a marker, a calendar event, a sign for you. The gift of the Spirit is a sign that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. Let me read to you the words that Peter quotes. He says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So what's Peter doing? Well, he's saying, we're in the last days, everyone. Look around you. This is what Joel spoke about, the pouring out of God's Spirit. In these days, there'll be wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. And we've seen some of those in Acts already. We are in the last days, says Peter. This is what you've seen. The Spirit has been poured out. And now come with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Because I want you to see where Peter goes with this. If we're in the last days, if the Spirit has been poured out, where does Peter go with this? Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Where's Peter's attention? 
What does he want to say to those who are looking on, who are trying to understand the signs that they've just seen? Is he interested in explaining the the tongues of fire or the sound of the violent wind or the speaking of the different languages? Does Peter even say something like this? Listen, seek out this spirit so that you too can speak German and French and Spanish and Cantonese. No, he doesn't, does he? He's not interested in explaining how to do those things. Rather, filled with the spirit, the spirit in his heart, Peter has Jesus on his lips. This is what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. He speaks of Jesus. And he recounts, doesn't he, the story of Jesus being handed over to the Romans so that he could be nailed to a cross and killed. And he even gets personal with those listening on. He doesn't really hold back. You, he says, you with the help of wicked men, Put Jesus to death. But God raised him. Death could not hold him down. And to make that really clear, Peter then quotes from Psalm 16. Go with me to Psalm 16 in your Bibles. A bit easier to find than Joel. Psalm Psalm 16 in about the middle of your Bible. You'll see that if you can turn to it, Psalm 16, you'll see that there's a, a heading to this psalm. It says, a mittam, a mittam of David. Now, from what I can tell, um, no one knows how to translate the word mittam into English. Uh, but what is is clear is that David is the author of this psalm. David, one of Israel's great kings, is the author. Let's take a look at what David says. Let me just read to you from this psalm. He says, "Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge." I say to the Lord, you are my God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. It comes down into verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, so far... This all sounds like the sort of thing you would expect King David to write in a psalm. Keep my eyes always on the Lord. I will not be shaken. Those sorts of things. But then come down with me to verse 9. And this is the part that Peter quotes from in Acts chapter 2. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, now here's the problem, right? David, as a king, he died. He was abandoned to the realm of the dead, and his body is decaying. It was buried quite a few thousand years ago now. If it's still any of it left, if the worms haven't completely finished, it's still there, decaying. But can you see Peter knows this, Peter understands this, so he says in uh, verse 29 of Acts chapter 2. So what's going on here? Well, I think Peter knows that David was also a prophet and he was actually then speaking about one who was to come, one of his descendants. It wasn't David so much who would not decay, rather it was one of David's descendants. In fact, David here speaking about the Messiah, 
the one who would be resurrected from the dead and therefore not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Who is this Messiah? Who's the person who's the Messiah? Peter wants us to see it's Jesus. Jesus is the Psalm 16 person. The one that was nailed to the cross. But also the one that the Father did not abandon in the grave. It's Jesus, Peter goes on to say, that was promised. It's Jesus that's now poured out the Spirit on all people. And not only has Jesus not been abandoned to the grave, but Jesus is also the one who has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He's the one who's ascended and he's now ruling over his enemies. And that's the point of the quote from Psalm 110. Again, Psalm 110 is a psalm of David. That is, David is again speaking. And the psalm starts this way. It's a strange way to start. David says, The Lord said to my Lord, strange thing to say. I think what, what David's actually saying is, the Lord said to David's Lord, or put another way, God the Father says to David's Lord, sit at my right hand. Who then is David's Lord? Well, the one who has ascended, Jesus. Jesus is the ruling Messiah. So we are in these last days where these things have happened. And so says Peter, and here's his really big conclusion. This is what he wants us to really know, and you read about it in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Have you ever seen um, those, those talent shows that are on TV? I think they're like Britain's Got Talent or America's Got Talent or that sort of a thing. Uh, in those very best episodes, um, you know the ones that are sort of unexpected where the shy girl comes out and sings some amazing song or where the old bloke sings with the voice of an angel, that, that kind of really amazing talent show events. When that happens, there's a golden buzzer. I'm not sure which of the show it is, but there's a golden buzzer. And if they hit the golden buzzer, it just means the performance is so magnificent that they've got to stop and celebrate. And their golden confetti just kind of rains down from the sky all over the people. Do you know the events that I mean? I, I, Verse 36 of Acts chapter 2 is Peter's golden buzzer moment. It's the peak of his argument. This is what he wants everyone to know. Beyond a doubt, listen, watch, hear this. He nails it, doesn't he? Jesus is Lord and Messiah. In the 50 days from the time when Peter was in the upper room with Jesus back in John chapter 13... He's learned a lot, hasn't he? Back then they seemed so confused, not quite able to understand and articulate who Jesus was and what he was going to do. But here, filled with the Spirit, Peter proclaims Jesus as both Lord and Messiah. He's saying Jesus is our rescuer. He's our redeemer. He's our saviour. He's our king. This is God's plan. In fact, this is the culmination of God's plan and it's found in the person of Jesus. If Peter had fireworks to emphasize the point he was making in his sermon, he'd set them off at this point, at verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, when he says, Jesus is Lord and Messiah. 
What I want you to remember today is that those who have Jesus in their hearts, so those who have the Spirit in their hearts, like, like Peter, those who have the Spirit in their hearts, have Jesus on their lips. Peter's not finished at this point in his sermon, though. He also, did you notice, wants the crowd to respond to what he's just said. He has a directive or an instruction for them, and that starts in verse 38. I don't think it needs a whole lot of explanation, really, this morning, so I'm just going to read it to you from verse 38 of chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all, all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 added to their number that day. That's a response to the first Christian sermon ever preached. And I want you to remember today, it was preached by a man who had the Spirit in his heart and therefore had Jesus on his lips. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this great sermon from Peter that helps us to see what is so important for you, that we know Jesus as both Lord and Messiah. We ask that you be with us as a church. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit and we help that, we pray that would help us as a church to have Jesus on our lips. Amen. Last week, we heard a bit about the Rowe family uh, and about mission overseas and how we're partnering with the Rowe family to do that. And this morning, I've asked Chris if he'd be willing to introduce himself. Um, now, many of you already know Chris. Um, he's the man behind the guitar. And if you've um, joined us online, he's the man with a check shirt, who he doesn't have on today. Um, for those of you who don't understand that joke, we recorded our, serv- our songs at the start before lockdown and Chris was wearing a check shirt and that came up every week after that because um, it was the same recording. Um, I thought it would be good just for us to say, um, get to know Chris a little bit better. Chris, do you want to um, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what makes you tick and that kind of stuff? Sure. Yep. Okay, so my name's Chris. I am married to Heather and this is Tom with the MND beanie on here. This is Liv. Uh, and Anna is out in the kids' program somewhere, and Kim is my sister, um, and my parents, Jeff and Judy, come to the 11 o'clock service. Um, uh, so there's lots that I could say. Um, I've, I'm an engineer is my work background. I was born in South Australia, but I, I've moved around, lived in lots of different states, and we, Heather and I lived in the UK, and Tom was born in England. So we've moved around quite a lot with work, but I am a South Australian. I'm not a port supporter now, but I used to be a port supporter. But my team is playing port this afternoon, so I'll let you work out what that means about my character. Um, don't think too hard. Right. Thank you. Um, so I asked Chris if he'd share a little bit about um, how he thinks about mission 
in Adelaide and how he thinks about mission in the workplace and those sorts of things. Um, Chris, I know that you work for Lion Nathan, if that's what it's called, the brewery um, out at the top of Port Road. And I think most of us know that that brewery is about to close down or it's in the process of closing down. I wonder if you could just share with us a bit about what life's like for you at the moment in the midst of all that going on. Yeah, so the, the close, closure of the brewery is a very um, kind of a big thing for Adelaide. It's it's been around for 160 odd years in various forms. Um, so kind of a yeah big um, a loss of a local business. So there's a, a lot of people at work um, in different circumstances. Yeah, some people uh, are close to retirement and they'll leave uh, quite um, financially well off. Um, there are other people um, that won't that won't be the case for and um, so there are huge amounts of mixed emotions going on at work Um, a lot of people sort of working through what um, expecting to have been working there for a long time but now it's not going to happen they are working through what um, their work means for their identity uh, as as often we do think through those things Um, and some people, very raw emotions, I think, about leaving workmates and work friends that they might have worked with for 30-odd years or a very long time. So um, so it is a time where there are lots of mixed emotions um, and just people trying to work through what they're going to do next. Yeah, mm. okay. So fairly unsettled time for you in your workplace at the moment. Um, I think that's pretty reasonable to say. Yeah. Um, the idea behind what I've been talking about today is to say that those who have the Spirit in their hearts have Jesus on their lips. Mm. Just wondering if you can share with us a little bit about what that looks like for you in your work context, given the uncertainty about what's going on and those sort of mm. things. Um, have you got any ideas mm. about what that looks like in your workplace that you can share yeah, with us? Absolutely. So i probably share some of the um, uh, concerns that we all have of not being necessarily a, an expert uh, evangelist in the workplace, but but it is a unique time um, where lots of conversations about meaning and purpose are coming up. Um, and, yeah, I think um, there are uh, various points in your working day where you have moments where you get to know people. You know, you might have that, that time in the lunchroom or a coffee with someone um, where where you can share particularly that question, you know, what did you get up to on the weekend? And you can actually say, you know, I've found from time to time it's been um, a good thing to say, oh, well, Sunday morning we're at church and I play a bit of guitar and um, or if we had, you know, Easter services, I could talk about, you know, that sort of still the cultural significance of Easter. And, um, so, yeah, just kind of looking for moments to share what goes on on the weekend with people and I'm finding... Uh, sometimes that that conversation uh, doesn't go anywhere past me saying that, and but then sometimes it opens up a conversation. Oh, right. So where do you go to church, and you know, what sort of a church is that, and is that part of a bigger organisation or what have you? Um, and so that's really good. And I think when people mention that they go to church in a work context, some of the people that you didn't know that have a church kind of experience will be encouraged to speak uh, and then you can get a little bit of a broader dialogue going um, there's so many um, you know opportunities that I've had over I've been at the brewery for 12 years and the whole beer making thing is a very social thing and so we talk a lot about relationships and you know obviously what is ethically responsible in that in those sort of that sort of context but I've had yeah loads of conversations with 
people over that time um, about um, you know how we come to be human beings and the significance of of just the wonderful way that we're made, for example, and mm. you know how it, you know the, our, our own bodies and our makeup speak of being incredibly well designed, and that seems to resonate with quite a few people. Um, and there have been other times where I started a conversation, like with my boss's boss, for example. We were at a Christmas party, and um, we got so far into it where you know we were just talking about the the universe and how well it seems to be ordered and. And he could see where I was going with that conversation. And he said, well, you know, I've sort of never really believed that there's a God, but, you know, I'm interested in exploring different ideas. And I um, uh, shared that with Matt because we were going to CLG at the time. And he gave me a book called um, uh, Making Sense of God, which is written by Tim Keller. And I gave that book to that boss and he's now moved to the UK and he WhatsApped me the other day and said, I've taken the book out of the box and it's on the shelf. And so I thought I would say, well, um, I'm looking forward to you uh, reading through that and I hope it really helps you, you know, make more sense of the, these big questions. So, um, yeah, so there's, there are points that you've... And the other, the other one that was interesting the other day, because the brewery is finishing up, we're all working on our LinkedIn profile. So if you don't know what LinkedIn is, it's a bit like Facebook um, for, in a work context. And I put as a backdrop, I started to play around the sort of, you know, wallpaper for LinkedIn and I put a picture of the Fibonacci series and the Fibonacci series for those people that, that uh, don't know about that is this amazing kind of mathematical relationship that so much of um, objects in the world, leaves, uh, the, the shell on the back of a snail, uh, a number of, the, the curl of a wave, like so many things are just perfectly fit the Fibonacci series. And he said, what are you doing that for? And I said, well, uh, this kind of represents me. I don't think that the, the world is, you know, randomly kind of comes into existence. I think there's absolute order and intention behind things. And he said, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> he was just sitting next to me. And then um, two weeks later, he had to go to a funeral. And uh, this was on the Friday. And on the Monday, I said, oh, you know, how did the funeral go? He said, oh, you know, it went really well. He said, my, my uncle was a Baptist pastor. Um, and so we started really, I said, oh, my yeah. brother-in-law is a Baptist pastor and, you know, yeah. um, so we started a conversation about that and, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's given us an anchor point to be able to speak about, um, God and the gospel and a lot of the conversations, some, I've had one or two conversations that were specifically about the gospel. Many of them are about, um, you know, the, the, the order we see in creation or, or dropping some sort of hint. There was a woman the other day who said, um, I'm finding it really hard to organise this end of brewery celebration for all of these people that don't seem grateful and don't, don't seem to care about it. I said, yeah, look, it's much harder to love our enemies and the people that are opposing us. And some of the people were opposing this woman in an unfair way. I said, it, and, and I was able to sort of, we were in a room with a whiteboard and just kind of paint a little picture of... Um, yeah, this idea of Jesus' idea of what it means to actually love your enemies. Um, and so things like that come up. Um, and I guess it's just about um, praying for those opportunities, being ready for them. In our community group, which is so vital, I think, we, we're we able to share these things as they come up and pray for them. Great. Um, so you've told yeah. us about like books, taking the most opportunities, um, uh, 
capturing the mood of what's going on in the yeah. organisation, that sort of thing. Just want to talk a little bit about, like, none of us, uh, it was a few years ago that I was an engineer working in a secular workplace. I can remember what it felt like. None of it's easy. It's not... Where's the motivation? How do you get motivated to do this sort of stuff? Yeah. Where does that come from for you? Absolutely. Yeah, I think you mentioned uh, in the sermon last week that, that you used the expression the gospel is a, a life and death matter. And I think if we hold to that, then what motivates us is love. You know, we see, um, we see all people as eternal beings with an eternal uh, destiny and that has such weight to it that we're driven by love. We, 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 we see the rescue, the great salvation that Jesus is offering. And so we, we want to love them. Yeah, and that, yeah, that drives um, how we think um, and how we feel about them. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think that starts the, that's got to be the motivation. And then what we'll do is we will put some investment into trying to think about you know, how would I, how can I introduce this in a way that um, is, uh, and I love what, what Peter, who's just preached that amazing sermon, what he says in 1 Peter 3, it's that really famous kind of passage about being ready to give uh, a defense for the hope that you have. And he says a number of things in that passage about, um, certainly as Christians, practicing our love for each other in the church context and then using that, if you like, as a fuel to be able to go out and and defend the gospel. So what we do here in the church context and in the in the community group context and in the youth, I'm so thankful for the youth group leaders who and the, the kids um, ministry leaders who love and care for our kids. But this context actually fuels our evangelism in many ways, yeah. um, as we love and serve each other and reinforce each other with the truths of the gospel. We actually want to take that and bring those same truths into the work context. Um, so I think it's got to be love. And, and so what you can do is that you can start to just gradually, um, none of us are expert apologists, some of us maybe, I'm certainly not, but I'm um, trying to work on understanding some of those big categories that you can talk about, you know, about the, the design of the universe and um, understanding you know, where different religions kind of find their their anchor points and how that's different from the gospel. And, um, yeah, I use uh, trips to work in the car. I've listened to lots of podcasts and conversations between atheists and skeptics and these sort. Using that time is something I find really vital to get my heart and head ready for a conversation if it comes up. That's really helpful, Chris. Thank you. Um, you got chances to ask Chris, questions afterwards this morning. Um, I think one of the things also is praying for our people. Mm. So, such a good thing to be doing. Chris, are there ways that we can be praying for you and your family, uh, people who we could be praying for uh, yeah, right absolutely. now for us? And we'll do that. Yeah, so one of the things that Peter says in 1 Peter 3 is about doing your job uh, well. So you could pray that I'd finish well at the brewery. You know, we, we certainly... Um, uh, point to God's goodness by the, the way that we work with great intention and great purpose. So pray that I'll, I'll finish well and, and work work well over the next few weeks. Um, pray that I'll make the most of the opportunities and that rare kind of moment we've got in the brewery brewery's life um, to talk about meaning and purpose with people. And pray for our family that we will 
um, use the uncertainty of this time to trust in God's provision and his care. Um, yeah, I think they're the main things. Yeah. How about we do that now? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for what we have read about the way in which Peter approaches who Jesus is for his bold declaration that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. We thank you for the way in which that truth shapes so many of us and changes how our whole identity is made up. We thank you that Chris calls himself a child of yours, that he knows Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. Father, we want to pray for Chris. We pray as a church that uh, you will hold on to Chris, that he would uh, keep doing the job that he's doing in a way that um, uh, brings honour and glory to you. In these last few weeks at the brewery, when it's um, a very difficult time with people finishing up and the raw emotions that are on view there as people um, contemplate where they go next, please uh, provide Chris with a great sense of comfort and strength and assurance of your goodness to him. Please be with his family, with Heather and the kids, as they also go through this season of time together. Father, we thank you for Chris's testimony of his opportunities and willingness to share that Jesus is Lord and Messiah with his workmates and to do that in a way that um, is appropriate and winsome. We thank you for that. We pray for those people who Chris has had opportunity to share something of what you're like as a God, that you'd continue to be at work in their lives. And Father, for each of us, we pray that uh, you would provide opportunities for us also to uh, demonstrate and remind people of the love that is held out in your gospel and to point people towards Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Amen. Thanks, Chris.